0: All right. Previous to this, in the Book of Jonah, this is the city that Jonah was dispatched to by God to go and preach to, and uh, he was supposed to go and preach that God was God was going to send His wrath, send His judgment upon Nineveh, and we all know the account of Jonah. Jonah didn't do what he's supposed to, didn't go where he's supposed to, and uh, that's all God fish. But God caused the fish to vomit Jonah back up on the shore. Jonah ran to Nineveh, preached his message, and the whole city repented. Uh, And that was that. And we know in Jonah that Jonah wasn't happy with that. It was Jonah being a Jew. He didn't want that bunch of Gentile people, those pagans, those heathens, to receive the mercy of God. So Jonah got upset with it. But nevertheless, the Nineveh repented there at the, in the book of Jonah. And now we're uh, a little further into the future as far as Mayim's prophecy goes. And like I said, it's a, it's a rough book uh, to read. We read about the true nature of God, or the true natures, I should say. God is good. God is, God is wonderful. God is love. God is, God is gracious. God is long suffering. God is patient. Folks, God is also a God of fury, he's a God of wrath, right. he's a God of judgment, he's a God of indignation, uh, and uh, several other things. We, we spent the rest of the morning going through the list of things that God is on both, the, on both sides of the coin, and we're going to see both of those sides and what we're going to read this morning. Uh, so we're going to do quite a bit of reading in the first chapter of Nahum. Uh, We'll just pick up in verse 1, book of Nahum, in chapter 1. It says, The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishai. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind, and in the storm, and in the and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea, and maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth in Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. and mount, The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. For while they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. There is one come out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet, and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now I will break his yoke from off thee, and will burst thy bonds and sunder. And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee that no more of thy name be sown. Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. That wraps up the first chapter of the book of Nahum, and uh, as I I said uh, uh, in the introduction to this, we, we kind of see both sides. Of the coin here, uh, we see in the first verse. This is the the burden of Nineveh. Uh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. It's a burden of Nineveh. It's a it's a, a weighty uh, prophecy that Nahum is given against this city. It's a it's a it's a heavy thing that he's uh, going to be delivering to them. Something that's. Uh, uh, unique about this as opposed to the other uh, uh, modern prophets as opposed to the other prophets as he says this is written in a book form the other ones don't say that None of the other prophets uh, make that claim but Nahum does he's writing this in a book to have it delivered unto the city of Nineveh to tell them that judgment is coming folks Jonah uh, Uh, many years before this Jonah made the same claim unto the same city uh, unto the same type of people the Ninevites, the Ninevites they were a wicked people, they were pagans, they were heathens, they had many gods, Uh, they were polytheistic in their religion and uh, they were brutal people they were violent people and they were proud uh, people, you can read all about these things in the third chapter of the book of Dan the very reasons that god is bringing judgment against them they were proud of their sin they were proud of their wickedness they were proud that they used people they were proud that they uh, the things that they done and these are the things that uh, these were the reasons Why God was bringing judgment Down folks it will be no different I can assure you now It will be no different when God Brings one final judgment on This earth when God brings the Judgment that is spoken about In the scriptures it will be Because of the pride of the the People it will be because the people Were too proud to turn unto God they were too proud To admit that they were sinners They were too proud to admit That they needed a savior In the son Jesus Christ these will be the reasons people will say that homosexuality Is the sin that will drag America down. They say that abortion is the sin that will drag America down Folks I tell you now that pride and idolatry are the very things that drug the nations down In the Old Testament scriptures, and it will be no different in the future It will be pride and it will be idolatry and idolatrous hearts that drag nations down in the future when God brings judgment on this world when God consumes this world with fire when God does the things that the scripture says the Bible says that the entire world will be consumed with a fervent heat. according to what I read in the writings of Peter I promise you these other sins yes they play a part and they all link back to pride but pride and idolatry are the very things that God was sending judgment to none of the four? The Bible says here that God is jealous and the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. Praise God, his wrath is reserved for his enemies because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and because God looked down on me one day in mercy. And and compassion and convicted my heart of the sin and convicted my heart of the pride and the idolatry that I had in my own life because of Jesus Christ and his shed blood because of these things never taste what the wrath of Almighty God feels like. I, because of Jesus Christ, I will never know what hell looks like because of Jesus Christ. I have God and the Holy Spirit abiding within me, and I will never have to face the fury or the wrath or the judgment of the God that has promised Nineveh in this scripture. That judgment is coming, and there is nothing that anyone nothing that any army nothing that any little gods can do for them Hallelujah. This is the God that I serve. I'm describing to you. This is the God of the scriptures. The church world nowadays has created a God all of its own. They have created a God that is nothing but love. He is nothing but compassion. And he is nothing but mercy. Folks, I'm telling you now, this is the God that you have in your mind. That is an idol. That is not the God of the scriptures. For the God of the scriptures is righteous. The God of the scriptures is holy. The God of the scriptures is pure and a just and a holy and a righteous and a pure God must punish sin. It is inevitable and it is impossible for sin to not be punished. So I tell you now, if you are here now without Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, if you are sitting underneath the sound of my voice, the wrath of God abides upon you the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. This is the God of the scriptures that I am describing to you. It is not the God that much of the church world has adopted. God is pure, and God is love, and God is all these things, but God must punish sin. And I can assure you that if you don't accept the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross at Calvary, if you don't accept His shed blood to blot out your sin, if you don't trust in His shed blood for the remission of your sin, if you're not trusting in these things, folks, you are trusting in the wrong thing. Don't trust in yourself, and don't trust in some other religion. Don't trust in some other God. Don't trust in your money in the coffer. Don't trust in the deeds that you do or the works that you perform. These things will all come to naught one day after a while. But the blood of Jesus Christ is eternal and the salvation of Jesus Christ through the blood of the only begotten Son of the Father is eternal. These are the things that will last. These are the things that will the same, And these are the things that will get you to heaven. Amen. the already said Nineveh repented in Jonah's days. Nineveh repented. And God spared them. God spared the Ninevites. He spared a bunch of heathens. He spared a bunch of pagans. Folks, He done the same thing for me. He done the same thing for you when He saved your soul. I talked about it in Sunday school just this morning and I'll reiterate it here. God did not save you because of who you are. And God did not save you because of your goodness and because of your righteousness. God saved you because God is good and because God is righteous and because God wanted to have communion and wanted a relationship with His creation when the Ninevites repented over in the book of Jonah. Hey, they repented their ways. They were in the sackcloth. They were in the ash. They fasted. They done All of these things and they done them rightly. And God spared the Ninevites. But here we are. And Nahum is making a, a prophecy to the city of Nineveh that will come to pass a hundred years after they have repented. Hey, folks, you may think a century's a long time. But I'll tell you now. Nineveh was brought up in Genesis chapter 10. It had been there for a long time. It had been a hub of evil and of wickedness for a long time. And then they repented and God spared them. But here they are, a hundred or so years later, about to bring the wrath of God upon themselves. Wow. They forgot their repentance. They forgot what they had done. And you will never, ever, ever convince me that, that the grandfathers and the fathers and the grandmothers and the mothers that were alive in Jonah's day. Some of them could have been alive when Naom was was given this prophecy right here. But you'll never convince me they hadn't passed down the story of how this of how this Hebrew man. Named Jonah had come into their city and preached repentance. He come into their city. He said, "He said, in just a few days, God's going to bring His wrath. In just a few days, He bring His judgment." And the king of the Ninevites, hey, he he called for the fast. He called for he called for the sackcloth. He called for the repentance. Right. And the, and everybody in the city repented. And God spared all hundred and twenty thousand people that were in that city. Hey, you'll never convince me that the And the stories of this weren't passed down, but the children, they decided hey, it's not that important now. It doesn't matter now. We've got favor with God but obviously God has not rained down his fury he has not rained down his wrath I can assure you people that God one day is raining down his wrath upon this entire world that has rejected the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ that's the attitude of a lot of people now though where is God where is God God is still on the throne, Amen. and Christ is still at His right hand, making intercession for me and making intercession for you. If you were born a bit again, but God has never left the throne; He has never left His position of authority, nor will He ever leave it. He is God. He is the Creator. He is the Maker, and He is the Master of not only this world which we live on, live on, but the entire universe that He spoke into existence yeah. Himself, God. God is the maker and the master of this, and he will never give up his authority, nor with it will his authority ever be usurped by an outside force. Satan may try, but I can assure you, Satan's tries and attempts have failed up till now, and they will fail on oh, into the future. He has defeated death and hell and the grave. My Jesus has done these things, and he will continue to be victorious and bring me into his victorious kingdom them one day after a while. Hallelujah. 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 These Ninevites, they had slid right back into their idolatry. They had slid right back into their old ways. They had slid right back into what they had repented from, what they had repented of, They had slid right back into these things. Anybody and remember? Nahum here is describing the God to them that will bring judgment. Yeah. He says, he slowed anger. And great in power. Post the hundred years between Jonah and the time that Nineveh was destroyed. It wasn't a hundred years when, when they delivered this prophecy. That wouldn't happen until a, a few more decades later. But it was a hundred years from the time they repented, or about a hundred years, to the time that the Babylonians came in and destroyed the city Nineveh. A hundred years. That's all it took. And you may say, that's a, that's a long time, folks. Not in the grand scheme of things. That's not very long at all. A hundred years is a long to forget where you come from. A hundred years is a long to think about the community that you live in. Hey, I remember when I was growing up, I didn't hear about some of the things that I hear about now. Hey, when I was growing up, if we heard about a murder on the news, it was great news to us. It was something that we didn't hear every day. Now we've grown so cold to it. We become so jaded to these, this news that we just brush it off of our shoulders and we go on and we continue on with life. Folks, hey, if sin creeps into your life, it'll be the same way. It might offend you for just a little while. It might bother you that you've offended the Christ-Holy God of the universe. But the more you let it creep in and the more you let it take over, the less it's going to bother you and the less your backsliding will get to you. And before you know it, you give up something the evening before you know it you've you've given up the midweek before you know it you're not praying like you used to you're not reading the Bible like you used to before you know it you are in a complete backslidden state on the one that saved your soul this is how the things happen folks it happened the same way with with the Ninevites I guarantee it wasn't an overnight thing for them they probably lived in fear for years, for years because of one message. Just a few words, I believe it was seven words that Jonah preached to the Ninevites. But he said, judgment is coming in those few words that he preached. And I guarantee you, the entire city lived in fear during that time. God is slow to anger. He didn't immediately bring his judgment on Nineveh. I said 100 years between the time Jonah preached to the time that it was finally destroyed by the Babylonian army when it came in. 100 years. Don't tell me God's not patient. Amen. Don't tell me he's not long-suffering. There's people now that say, and I've heard it said myself, that that God didn't give the people in Noah's day enough time. They say he, they should have let preaching Or Noah preached for just a little bit longer folks my Bible teaches that Noah preached for 120 years and I don't read about one person in 120 years that came to Noah and said I believe in this rain that you're talking about I believe in this God that you're talking about the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and I promise you if he was preaching righteousness he was preaching God he was preaching the love of God he was preaching the, the justice of God and he was preaching the wrath of God all at the same time. That's exactly what Nahum was doing here in this book that he was going to send into the city of Nineveh. He was preaching about the the wrath of God and the fury of God. But praise God for verse, uh, verse 7 that says the Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them he knoweth them that trust in him. Hey, we read all these what we would consider to be bad things about God. We read about this judgment that's coming but in the midst of all of this and in the midst of all the trouble he throws in this line I believe this was for his believing brethren that were there as well the Lord is good regardless of what we see in our lives regardless of how your life may be crumbling from underneath you regardless how many doors get shut in your face or anything else that goes on in your life it does not change the fact that God is good Amen. It doesn't yes. matter what evil comes your way. God is still good. Amen. God is good no matter how the world treats right. you, no matter how your family treats you, no matter how a spouse might treat you or your children might treat you, no matter how the world might talk about you, regardless of any of these things, God is still good. People will say, well, why is there cancer in the world? Why is there sickness? Why is there death? Why do these things happen? I'll tell you why they happen. The Bible teaches these things are in existence because of sin. There is sin in your life, there is sin in my life, there is sin, there is sin that creeped in with Adam and Eve and the cause of the sin that creeped into Adam and Eve everything about them what we inherited on into the future God created them as perfect beings for his service for his service he created Adam put him in the garden to till it and to keep that was Adam's priestly duty to God that was his priestly duty to his maker what happened the sin created him the sin came in. Temptation came first. And temptation gave way to sin. Folks, it'll happen like that in your life. You be careful, Christians. You be careful, uh, fellow believers. You be careful, hateful folks, You're lost. This applies to you to judgments coming. Judgments coming. But hey, God gives space for repentance. Praise God. He gave these Ninevites here a hundred years between the preaching of Jonah and a hundred year er, and the destruction of that city. He gave the entire world 120 years in the book of Genesis for even one person to repent and to trust what Noah was preaching. And no one did. You will never convince me that if Noah had Preached for 121 years that someone would have gotten saved. The entire world was against Jonah, or was against Noah in his time. The entire world, or the entire city of Nineveh here, was against God. He was bringing judgment on them all. He's slow to anger, but He's great in power. Amen. Says the Lord, hath His way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds the dust of his feet. He's describing God to them, continuing continuing to describe God. He says, he has his way in the whirlwind. Hey folks, I read in the Bible where God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. When God descended upon Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments to Moses to deliver to his people the Israelites. When he descended, he descended in a storm and in a tempest there on the mount. Hey, God has his way in the whirlwind. God has his way in the storm. Those storms and those whirlwinds, hey, the greatest calamities that have ever naturally happened on this earth are no match to my god my god created the earth which Amen. these things have happened on. and when these things happen and when great calamities happen to cities and the countries and the kingdoms and the communities and all these other things hey folks it does not grab god by surprise he knew it was coming yeah. he allowed it to happen for his glory that the works of god and the of God to be manifest in the people that are affected. Hallelujah. So many turn against God. So many turn against God. These Ninevites here had turned against God. Nahum asked the question in verse 6, who can stand before his indignation? I can assure you, no one. No one can stand against the judgment of God. This is not just Old Testament. This is something that's brought up in the New Testament well, as well. In Revelation chapter six, we, be, we begin reading about the, the seals that are broken. And after the sixth seal is broken, we read about the kings. We read about the, the chief people and then the princes. We read about those uh, those that are way high up, as far as far as their. Cl- cloud goes. We read about everyone that are running to the hills and they're begging for the rocks to fall. And It says, who can stand against the Lord? It asks the same question there in Revelation 6. here is asking the question 500 years before that was ever written. He's asking the same question. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Again, he's describing Almighty God to these people. He's saying hey, he's the one that's throwing the rocks. He's the one that's uh, that's uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's showing all this indignation. He's showing his anger. He's showing his fury. Remember these Ninevites, they were polytheistic. They had many gods that they worshipped for many different reasons. He said but Nahum here is telling them this is the God and this is the only God. He's the one that created this world. He created the rocks. He created the universe and he can use anything that his disposal because he is the very creator of it. He's warning the Ninevites who they're dealing with. What do you imagine? Verse 9, what do you imagine against the Lord? He will make another end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. What do you imagine against the Lord? What do you imagine? The Assyrians had a leader called Sennacherib. Sennacherib imagined evil things against the Lord. Sennacherib imagined evil things against the against the, God's people, against the Lord's people. And God brought those things to naught. God brought that army to naught when they were coming against his people. He says, what do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. An utter end of what? Remember, this is a prophecy against Nineveh against Nineveh. Now we can take it because we have the New Testament. They didn't have that at this time. We can take it and look on into the future with that. He's going to make another end of everything, folks. He's going to make another end of this world that we live on. This world is just as cursed as we were when sin cracked in the garden and the world groans for her rebirth. And God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Praise God, I read about it in the New Testament. I read about it in the writings of Peter. I read about it in the book of Revelation. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I look forward to that day. I look forward to the time that that actually happens. But as of right now, we're still living in this corrupted world. We're still living amongst the evil. We're still still living amongst the wickedness and that we must wait on God in his good time and in his good deciding of when to do away with this world against him and what do we imagine he'll make another end now folks this verse seems it seems to have a a gleam of hope about it it says affliction shall not rise up the second time folks that's not a gleam of hope that's talking about the utter destruction of god he says affliction shall not rise up the second time In other words, I'm going to do it so well the first time, and I'm going to do it so thoroughly, I'm going to destroy Nineveh, and I'm going to destroy its inhabitants, and I'm going to destroy everything that it represents. I'm going to do it so well the first time, there'll be no need for a second stroke of my rod. There'll be no need for me to come there again and do this. There'll be no need for me to send angels, or for me to send commandments, or for me to speak it from my throne upon high, because the first time will be well enough that there will be no second affliction to the Ninevites. For while they be folding as thorns, while they're drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. In other words, while they're, while they're folded together, what do you do with thorns whenever you find them? Hey, you try your best to separate them. If you can't, they're in a big body Just throw the whole thing into the fire you throw the whole thing in there to burn it says that and while they are drunken as drunkards they, folks, they don't take a whole lot of effort to push a drunk man down It don't take a whole lot of effort to overtake a drunken man he says they shall be devoured as stubble that is fully dry this is how thoroughly almighty God is going to bring judgment on this city of Nineveh and once again he tells them later on in the scriptures exactly why it's because of their wicked ways it's because of their idolatry and it's because of their pride that he is bringing these things he says this is what there is one out of evil against the Lord a wicked counselor thus saith the Lord they shall be quiet and likewise many yet thus they shall be shall they be cut down when he shall pass through though I have afflicted thee I will afflict thee no more it, sa- it says that they shall be quiet and likewise many this was men of his comfort this was this was what they were depending on they were depending on their numbers numbers they were depending on the fact that no one had ever over, overtaken that city. They were depending on the walls that they had built. They were depending on their gods, and they were depending on their own efforts to keep themselves safe. And they were at peace with these things. That's why the scripture says, though they be quiet, that God says, I'm going to come through, and I'm going to cut them down. The righteous indignation of Almighty God cannot be withstood by the world's largest and most fierce army. It cannot be withstood by man at all. God says you trust in these things. All you want but judgment is coming. And I warn you now. You trust in yourself. You trust in your works. You trust in your deeds. You trust in your own righteousness. And God's judgment will come. That's right. God's judgment will come. Sin must be punished. And if it wasn't punished. For you personally, for you personally, if it was not punished on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, it, it will be punished forever and for all eternity in a place called hell. That's for you personally. Sin was punished. Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin for us. Excellent. And cursed yeah. is every man that hangeth upon a tree. Excellent. Sin was punished on that cross. Your sin was placed on Jesus Christ. My sin was nailed to that cross and I praise God that it was. Jesus Christ took the punishment for me, but if you do not accept this sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, you will pay for your own sin over and over and over and over and over again And a place called hell it will never be fully accounted for. It will never be fully paid for according to the scriptures in the Old Testament hey they had to make that atonement every year and it didn't wipe away sins It just rolled them back for a little while and the sacrifices had to be made over and over and over but praise God in the book of Hebrews we read that Jesus Christ once and for all sacrificed himself for an entire world of lost sinners that did not deserve forgiveness that was a once and for all sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. <coughs> Give me just a few more minutes. For now, while I break this yoke from off thee, I'll burst thy bonds you He's not talking about Nineveh now. He's talking about those that Nineveh is holding captive of God's people. He said, I I'm breaking the yoke of Nineveh off of you. I'm breaking, I'm breaking you away from this bondage that you've been under. I'm breaking you away from this oppressor. And the Lord has given a commandment concerning thee, that no more of thy name be sown. He's back to Nineveh in this. No more of thy name be sown. He's saying, your destruction will be so complete and so total that your name won't even be known. The Ninevites' name will not even be known. And folks, listen to me. When Nineveh was destroyed, it was the 1840s before anybody found any archeological evidence that Nineveh ever existed. Alexander the Great fought very close to where Nineveh once stood, had no idea that he was even there, had no idea a great city had even stood there back in his day. It was the 1840s before anything was ever discovered to do with Nineveh. And now, there's so little of Nineveh known now, even now here in 2022, almost 2023, there's still a debate of which side of the river is stood on. That's how completely God destroyed it. Folks, that's how completely God will punish sin. Mm-hmm. And like I said, without Jesus Christ, you will completely pay for your own sin for all eternity. All eternity. You will die over and over. It will be a continuous state of death. It will be perpetual death. It will be perpetual pain. Perpetual suffering, and it will last forever and forever and forever. The Bible describes hell so many ways, and I still ain't sure exactly what it looks like or exactly what it's like. It describes heaven a few ways. I'm still not exactly what heaven. What, sure what heaven looks like. But folks, I can assure you, you don't want to go to that place. These Nephites, they didn't want to be there when God brought His judgment, but He brought it. And every one of the city suffered because of their pride, because of their idolatry. The Lord has, has given a commandment concerning thee that no more thy name be sown. Out of thy house thy gods will, will I cut off the great out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven images and molten image I will make thy grave, for thou art thou. God tell them the Ninevites, You worship these other gods after I forgave you, after you repented, and I spared you. God's saying, I'm going to cut off these images. Folks, we know from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, God will have no, uh, that we are not to make a graven image and that God will have no God before him. The Bible says that he is God and beside him there is no other. God will not share his glory. God will not share his holiness. God will not share the praise that is due him with another God. This is the idolatry that we've been talking about here. He says, uh, I'll cut off the graven image and the golden image. I will make thy grave from thou art I say, I'm going to make your grave right where you stand. And like I said, folks, it was the 1840s before anything to do with Nineveh was ever discovered. And they still know very little about it, even after archaeological digs for almost 200 years now. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. It says, Behold, upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. Isaiah makes a a very similar statement like this in in his writings. But Nahum here says, uh, the the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. Nahum is writing about this like it's already happened. And it happened. But folks, I can promise you, if God says it will come to pass, if God says it's going to happen, I can assure you that it will come to pass. If, if it if the Bible says that it's coming, I can promise you it is coming. We live in a world, Paul lived in a world, Moses lived in a world, hey, and we've all lived in the same world for a long time now. Where there were all kinds of people saying, Where is his coming? Where is this God that you speak of? Where is his power? Where is his majesty? Hey, folks, God is still on the throne, he has not left the throne, and he's still sending people with good tidings to bring the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. To a world that doesn't deserve to hear it. But God wants them to hear it anyway. I did not deserve to hear. Of the good news of Jesus Christ. But God saw fit. To send someone my way. Several times over the years. And present to me. The good news that salvation. Can be found in a man called Jesus Christ. And he alone. Hallelujah. We're still sending good time and God is still sending good timing. He tells Judah, keep thy solemn feast and perform thy vows. In captivity, it's awfully hard for them to do this. God's saying, I'm breaking, I'm breaking this bondage off of you. I'm breaking their yoke off of your necks. I'm breaking the bands asunder that are holding you down. I am sparing you, Judah. He's saying, keep your solemn feast, Perform your vows. In other words, do the things which I have told you to do. Hey, God, over in the book of Leviticus, he gave a whole list of feasts that he told the people, that he told his people to keep over the years. He gives this. Listen, feast he's telling them, you keep these things, you keep your worship towards me. You do this because I am the one doing this. Don't think that it's the Babylonian army that's coming in that's going to free you. I'm the one sending the Babylonian army in there to take over Nineveh. I'm the one that's sending them to break it asunder and to break their necks and to do these things. He said, I'm the one that's sending this other army in to kill those that have been oppressing you. I have done this, so you keep your solemn feast toward me. keep your worship toward me. You do the vows that I have told you to do and that you have promised toward me. Hey, when God saved your soul, God expects you to keep some solemn peace. God expects you to keep your worship toward him and him alone. And if you are not doing so, I suggest you get and check your relationship with him. God expects some things of his people. God expects some things when he saves us. I say we do things to be saved, but when God saves us, he expects us to act like it. he don't expect us to be like the world. he don't expect us to do like Nineveh, get spared, and then fall right back from, from whence God spared you from. <clears throat> he gives them the what? Keep thy soul in peace and perform thy vows. He gives them the why. For the wicked man shall no more pastor than he is utterly Cut off, folks. When I got saved, God told me the same thing. That's not to say we won't be tempted. That's not to say that temptation won't come our way. That, that desires, uh, the, the you know, fleshly desires won't happen. It's not to say these things just disappear, dissipate in the thin air. But God, when I got saved, placed the Holy Spirit inside of me, and when these things come my way the Holy Spirit. If I start to give in to that, the Holy Spirit's grieved. The Holy Spirit will let me know. The Holy Spirit of God will convict me of that. And I repent. Yes. I repent right then and there when that happens, folks. <clears throat> God sent a good time. And he told the people, you're being freed from this oppression that you've been in, from this captivity that you've been under. You're being freed. Keep your solemn feasts and your feast. God bless y'all. That's the message for this morning. I appreciate your attention.